the names, the name of Jesus. We've got all kinds of them projected on our platform this morning, don't we? And uh, there's, there's great, great things we can learn from the various ways in which the Bible describes our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And so today we want to focus a little bit more on four of those names. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to the prophecy of Isaiah. We've been working through uh, the prophecies of Isaiah in order to understand and expand our understanding of the names that uh, the prophet gave to the Lord Jesus Christ and to think about how each of those names instills within us an awe and a wonder that he is our king, uh, a real appreciation that he is the one who gives us his peace. And then today we'll be talking about how he is the one who gives us great joy as we've been thinking about already this morning. Few experiences in life bring more joy than the birth of a baby, right? The discovery of, of that you're going to have a baby, um, it just changes everything about your family. You know, we're going to have a baby in it. You just lift your spirits like you're walking on air. And, and then, of course, some people have a lot of fun with the reveal. Uh, that's that's been a thing that we have now with our technology. We can decide if it's a boy or a girl. And so one of the things people do is they bake a cake and they get all their friends around and then they cut the cake and it opens up and inside the cake is either pink or blue. That's called the reveal. And the reveal parties are occasions of great joy. I remember when our son was born. Boy, the actual birth experience when the doctor and nurses took that little guy and, and gave her to my wife, and she and I both just looked at each other. We were speechless. Uh, both of us were just tear-filled the joy of welcoming a little baby into the world. And, of course, then we had the, we had the fun of making the announcement, proclaiming, Hey, everyone, we had a baby! Um, send pictures. Uh, I've recently gotten some really, really cool pictures of families who just had babies, and of course they always say, you know, seven pounds, five ounces, uh, looks like mom, spinning image of dad, and it's just the fun of of having that having that announcement, and then of course the grandparents. <laughs> I mean, the grandparents go nuts, and rightly so, rightly so. There's nothing like being a grandparent. At least I'm told. One of these days we'll maybe have that ourselves, but. There's nothing that creates joy like the announcement of a baby. Well, certainly that happened with the announcement of the birth of Jesus. When Mary conceived Jesus, she went to her cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth met her, who was also with child, boy, she just heaped blessings. Joy on Mary. Oh, Mary, you are, you are blessed. All the world will remember you and you will be remembered as being, oh, blessed. What a privilege to carry the incarnation of God. And, and then when they were together, the baby within Elizabeth, the Bible says, the baby actually leaped with joy. Even the little baby within Elizabeth was filled with joy. And then, of course, as we've already remembered today, the angel's announcement. 
the announcement came to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. And then the company of angels appeared, joyfully praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And then when the wise men were on their journey looking for the newborn king, God gave them an announcement in a star. And the Bible says that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And so there's, there's great joy in the announcement. And so today we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. And we look at his announcement of the birth of Jesus. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of the burdens that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And here's the announcement. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This passage concludes the section that began in chapter 7 which we learned last week, described the predicament that the southern kingdom, Judah, was and King Ahaz had as they were facing the impending disaster of the rising power of Assyria that was consuming all the regions around them. But when Ahaz joins the Assyrians and assimilates their godless religion into the mainstream of Israelite religion, the people began walking in darkness a people began living in deep darkness. They began to carry a great bar of weight on their shoulders and they experienced oppression from a rod of the oppressors. We might describe our culture similarly. Apostle Paul called his culture a great darkness. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says there is, there is a present darkness over his culture doesn't take much for us to see that darkness in our culture today as well. A culture of death is around our, our culture. A culture of abuse. A culture of sex slavery. A culture of poverty. A culture of oppression. A culture of dishonesty. We're walking in darkness. 
It's similar to us. But in the midst of that darkness, verse 2, appears a great light. A light has appeared. Verse 4, the yoke of oppression is shattered and the uniforms of soldiers in war, the blood-stained uniforms, will soon be burned. And this is attributed to a child who is born, to a son who is given. But unlike the Emmanuel prophecy that we studied last week, there is no contemporary fulfillment of this particular prophecy for Isaiah. It's all future. It's all about the future life and reign of Emmanuel, God with us. It's an announcement about the birth that is yet to come. This is a prophetic announcement. But if we look carefully in this, pro- in this prophecy, we have some questions about this. You'll notice the verb tenses in, cha- in verses 2 to 4 are all past tense. You think, well, what's the deal there? Well, the answer there is that Hebrew grammar scholars point to a verb construction that says that there is a future event that is so certain to happen that they are so confident it's going to happen that one can speak of it as having already happened. And so even though literally and chronologically the birth of this child is in the future, the prophet is so certain that it will happen, he can speak of it as it already has happened. So if we look at the perspective to Isaiah's readers, the future prophetic announcement that can be assumed as a sure thing, so much that Isaiah says, put yourself in the future and look at this announcement and it is so certain of what I'm going to tell you, we can speak of it as though it's already happened. But then there are those who lived in the days of the fulfillment. Mary and Joseph. They can read Isaiah. When Jesus was born in a manger, when Jesus, the Son of God, is given to them because God so loved the world, when Jesus wrapped himself in human flesh, walked among us and paid the penalty for our sins, Mary and Joseph can say, this child is born. And then when we look back at the manger, we know that it did happen. And so for us, we can say that this prophecy has already been fulfilled. But yet for all people, verses 5 and 7 tell us there is something yet in the future. There will be a day when the final battle in the end times is going to happen. And the final war of the Antichrist and his followers will happen. And the child who was born, the son who was given, would come down from heaven and he will massacre the enemies of God with the breath of his mouth. And then verse 7 says the ongoing rule of the eternal king of kings in the kingdom of God will happen. So putting this prophecy all together, concluding the entire event described by Isaiah, no matter if it's spoken to those of us in the past, in the present, or in the future, look at what verse 3 tells us. We are filled with great joy. 
There is great joy as at a successful harvest. Ah, oh, the crops are in. We made it. There's great joy and celebration. Oh, we can collect the spoils of a great victory on the battlefield. Our armies won. There's great joy. But there's an element in this birth announcement that makes this announcement unusual. I think it's a it's a it's an interesting announcement because this announcement doesn't just tell us about the birth of the child. This announcement tells us what this child is going to do. Now that's really unusual. How many birth announcements have you heard that do that? <laughs> Imagine getting a picture of a baby girl in the mail and say, Rejoice with us at the birth of our daughter who's going to be a famous special education teacher and is going to found a school that will eliminate autism. <laughs> you never get an announcement like that. Or how about you get a picture of a little baby boy? It gives us great joy to introduce you to our son who will invent a smartphone that is implanted in your brain so you can access the Internet and talk to your friends just by blinking your eyes. <laughs> you never get an announcement like that. But look at this announcement. This announcement says, I give you an announcement of the birth of a son. A birth of a child. And he's going to do something. What is this child going to do? The Bible tells us, first of all, this child will provide salvation. He provides salvation. Verse 1. He will overcome the humiliation of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, who are those are the names of the northernmost tribes that were the first Jewish nations to fall under the advent. The, the advance of the Assyrians. And the Bible even tells us that Jesus, being the sovereign ruler of the nations, actually directed Assyria to judge the people because of their gross sinfulness. But then it tells us something else. In the future, this child will remove the gloom. He will remove the distress and Jesus came along and he established his headquarters for his ministry in Capernaum. Now, do you know where Capernaum is? Capernaum is located on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee beyond the Jordan. It's exactly what this text says. And from there, Jesus established his ministry, which accomplished the salvation of those who believed and trusted in him. That's what this child is going to do. He is going to provide salvation. But secondly, this child will reign in the kingdom of God. Verse 7 clearly tells us that he is the branch of the stump of Jesse who will reign on David's throne and he will establish a government of peace that will never end. This is a most unusual birth announcement. But I would suggest to you that we can really understand the significance of it to us as we look at the four names that God gives to this child, which I would suggest to you tell us how 
is he going to do this? How is he going to bring us salvation? How is he going to establish his kingdom and reign forever? And I'd like to suggest to you that I think these four names that he gives to us in verses 6 and 7 tell us exactly how this child is going to pull off this incredible life mission. First, he brings us the wisdom of the gospel. He is the wonderful counselor. Now, some who are using the King James Version or some of us who remember some of the old Christmas songs, maybe Handel's Messiah, you know that sometimes um, this name is referred to two separate things. He is wonderful, counselor. Um, there's some merit to this. Um, the first word, wonder, um, really refers to a person who is incredibly marvelous. He is a wonder. He is a marvel. Now, not Batman or Iron Man or Superman or the other superheroes of the Marvel series. <laughs> but this word does have something to do with the supernatural. He's a wonder. He's a, he's a marvel. He's, he's someone unlike anyone who has ever lived. He's, he's awe-striking. However, most Hebrew scholars notice the poetic symmetry in this verse. And so they say, well, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace are couplets, groups of two. This one, too, should be a group of two. So let's look at him as being a marvel of a counselor. Of course, that's what Jesus was, isn't it? When people asked him a question, he knew the answer before they even asked. When they presented a dilemma, he solved it. He knew just when to rebuke, just when to comfort, just when to challenge. And his enemies declared, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, people marveled, saying, this person speaks with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. This man is a marvel. He is a wonder of a counselor. You know, we sometimes in our, in our lives turn to professional counselors and psychiatrists and therapists and psychoanalysts to answer our questions. And there is a need for mental health experts. Just like there's a need for cardiologists and rheumatologists and orthopedic surgeons. So I'm not saying that there's no need for counselors and doctors of the mind. But for most of us, we're not in the category of needing a specific doctor of the mind because we can come to this child for counsel. We can come to this child and, and the wisdom that he brings to us and the humility that he encourages us. And he says, listen, learn to live life Less of us and more of him solves a lot of our problems. I think there's a lot of us, me included, who need to lose some weight from the shoulders up. 
And that happens when we come to this child who is the wonder of a counselor. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power to change lives. The power of the gospel accomplishes the goal of every good counselor. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Wow. What kind of a counselor is that? See, that's how Jesus accomplishes our salvation. And that's the type of king, the type of ruler. And that's the one who brings us great joy. But there's a second name that he gives that helps us understand the how of his mission. And that is that he accomplishes the requirements of the gospel as mighty God. The requirements of the gospel. Now, you know that the gospel was given to us because of this problem we have in the world called sinfulness. And in order for, in order for us to have freedom from this sinfulness, we need to have some help. And that help comes from the child who was born, the son who was given, who is mighty God. Now, think about this for a moment. Maybe some of you remember the song sung by Amy Grant, El Shaddai. Remember that song? There's a Hebrew word, El, and then there's a descriptive word. The word El is the Hebrew word for God. And there's a lot of times in the Old Testament, hundreds of times, when God is described as El, God, and then a descriptive word. God who provides. God who heals. God who forgives. The prefix El is the word for God. This child who was born... This son who was given is God. Wow. And then the prefix that is given in this particular case is hero. God who is a hero. Literally, hero. Now, why would we need a hero? Well, because we're in a predicament that we can't get out of ourselves. We need someone to come alongside of us and rescue us from our predicament. And when someone comes along and rescues us from our predicament, we say, oh, you're my hero. (laughs) And that's what this name means. He is God who rescues us and becomes our hero. He is a mighty hero. Now, what do I mean when I say that he accomplishes the requirement of the gospel? Well, very practical consequence of sin is that there is an offense against God. And when you offend God, what type of an offense is it? It's an eternal offense. Offense, right? I mean, it's an offense that is so great that that it's eternally sinful. It's eternally difficult, hard, egregious. 
let's say that uh, we owe the bank a thousand dollars, and we go into the bank teller with a hundred dollar bill. We say, "I'd like to pay the balance of my debt," and you give the bank teller a hundred bucks. What's the bank going to tell her going to tell you? <laughs> That's only a hundred bucks. I mean, you owe a thousand bucks. This isn't good enough. So let's say that there's an egregious sin against the eternal God. And we come to him with our good works, with our little worship, with our sacrifices of animals. And we say, here, God, here's a payment for my sin. God's going to say, sorry, not good enough. What does he require? If it's a God-sized offense, it requires a God-sized payment. And who is Jesus? He is God who is my hero. And what did God, my hero, do? He went to the cross and he said, here is the payment. A God-sized payment which is sufficient to rescue me from our predicament and be our hero. Boy, that that just brings great joy when you think about how we are rescued from our predicament. Then there's a third name. He establishes the way to eternal life as our everlasting Father. Now, this term could be confusing to those who embrace the truth of the Trinity. You ever thought about that? I mean, I thought thought the Father was the Father, the Son was the Son, and the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit. How can the Son be the Father? Well, let's think about this in a different way. If you look at this word, it literally means the Father of eternity. America has its founding fathers, right? The guys that, that wrote the Declaration of Independence, the, the, the people who wrote the Constitution, they're called our founding fathers, fathers of our nation. Uh, the local church, the church historically has founding fathers. We call them the church fathers. And these are the scholars, the pastors, the bishops, back in the early years of the church that met together and worked out all of the creeds and solved the problems of the deity of Christ and all those type of things. They're called our church fathers. How about if we consider Jesus the father of eternal life? The one who established eternal life. The one who opened up the door for us to live everlasting life. Isn't that what the Bible says about him when he says, I am the way? I am the way. I'm the father of eternal life. I'm the one who gave this to you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you to be with myself so that where I am, you shall be also. I'm the father of eternal life. I've established the way to eternal life. Wow. Thinking of this child that way, doesn't that, doesn't that give you some, some joy in your heart that he's offered you that way as well? And then finally, the Bible says that he is the prince of peace. 
This means that he offers the gospel to all people. Now, thinking about this idea of Jesus being the prince, we've already talked about how Emmanuel brings us peace with God. I would suggest to you that peace with God is a benefit of the gospel and that Jesus brings us that peace. And the way he does that is by being the prince of peace. Isaiah presents this child as the king, as we've already seen. But just as Jesus is both the high priest as well as the sacrifice that the high priest makes, so Jesus is the king and he is the prince who represents the king. And that's just what a prince does. The king stays in the capital. The king stays in the throne room. The king stays and rules. And he sends his son out among the people as the prince. <laughs> and when the prince comes to town, he holds some town hall meetings. He gets together and he sits down and has dinner with you. He says, this is what the king says. I'm here to represent the king. I'm here to tell you what the king has done. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the prince who represents the king. And you know what he does? He represents the king as the offer of peace is extended to all the people. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I speak only what the Father tells me to speak. I'm his prince. I've come to glorify the Father. And I've come to offer you peace. And so peace I give you. Not a peace as the world offers you do I give. But I give you a peace that is unlike the world. I give you a peace that is offered to you from my Father who is going to save you as you trust in me. You see, that's the announcement of this child. He's going to provide salvation and he's going to be the king. And the way he does that is by being the wonder of a counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So it's not difficult to understand why the people reading this prophecy would be filled with great joy, right? It's not hard to understand how the people who are present at the birth of Jesus will be filled with great joy. And it's not difficult to understand why we who read this prophecy, who see the fulfillment in Christ, how we also might not be filled with joy. I'd like to close with one of my favorite Christmas carols. Listen to listen to the way that this Christmas carol elaborates on these truths of who this child is who is born to us. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts, proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. 
Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with man, as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heavenly born prince of peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. That's who this child is. The child who brings joy. May I ask you today, is there something in your life that is pulling you down? Is there something in your life that is making you feel oppressed? Is there something in your life that is enveloping you in darkness? Come to the child who was born to us. And he will lift your spirits and he will bring you salvation and he will give you joy. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much for this birth announcement. It is quite a comprehensive announcement. (laughs) We can look back at a prophecy and see that it's been fulfilled and yet when we remember it, It means so much for us even right now, right today. You are a wonder of a counselor. You're the mighty God who paid the penalty that only you could pay. You're the author of eternal life. And you've brought that message to all of us. I pray today that if you're tugging on the hearts of anybody, grandpa, son, daughter, child, grandchild, that they would open their hearts and receive the benefit and the love and be filled with the joy of placing their faith and trust in this child who was born to us, this son who was given to us. Lord, we love you, we receive you, and we joyfully walk with you during this Christmas season. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Pastor Ian's going to come and share with us some announcements. And-